I did win some cross country races. And I think that was mostly because some other kids my age had got, they'd got into cider and cigarettes and maybe dope smoking just, just a year or two before me. So they were less in- interested. The thing I learned from him, I think, above all else, was to be very deliberate about recovery. Um, you know, foam rolling regularly, massages regularly. And I've interviewed Nikki Spinks actually a few times about celebrating, and she's talked about having half a beer in a shower and, and just collapsing and stuff. So it's yeah, you're not always in a good state to actually celebrate as such. But that that inner satisfaction obviously is is, is huge, isn't it? Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. And as you heard from the teasers just, uh, my guest today is Damien Hall, um, an FKT specialist and also uh, finished top 10 at UTMB after a good few years of really training hard towards towards achieving that goal. Um, So yeah, just before we go ahead with today's show, I'd just like to mention um, I myself, uh, as you'll probably hear a few references to in this um, uh, podcast, I've got the fastest known time for the Southwest Coast Path and anyone interested in helping support my 2021 Appalachian Trail, my second attempt at the AT, um, last year I funded uh, that pretty much mostly myself and um, this year um, unable to do that for next year so looking at trying to gain some funding and, and for that just go and visit my website um, christianultra.com that's christian spelt without the ch because uh, when i was 11 i changed it to k so that's k-r-i-s-t-i-a-n ultra u-l-t-r-a.com and it's the same name and spelling as this podcast so guys go and check out my website uh go and uh do um, add something if you would like to to the fundraiser and if not no worries you can read out uh, read about me up on there so cool guys um, I'll delay the guest no more uh, please enjoy my interview with Damien Hall hey guys welcome to the Christian Ultra podcast and it was bound to happen I actually have Damien Hall um, on the other side of my computer screen uh, with me, and he's a, a guest on the podcast today. Welcome, Damien. Hi, Christian. Thanks thanks for having my, me on. Um, but I'd, I'd like to jump in and congratulate you on your, on your new record, which you've, uh, you, which you've stolen from me. Um, but huge, huge congratulations for your run on the Southwest Coast Path. That was incredible. I, I really appreciate that. I think we had uh, 12,000 people uh, visit unique visits on that tracking page. Um, and that's pretty much due to your name being on there. Oh, alongside I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that was a stunning, a stunning effort. I was following it avidly, as you know, we exchanged a few messages, didn't we? Um, but yeah, it was so exciting to watch. And yeah, I was perfectly happy to, to sort of pass, pass the mantle on to you when I seen, see yeah, how hard you'd worked and the spirit in which you did it. And, um, and, um, yeah, and how much you enjoyed it as well was great. Was great to see. Yeah, I did phone you up. Uh, uh, I think uh, you were. T- I saw. You know how you can see when someone's typing on WhatsApp, and I was like, right, let's call Damien up. Oh yeah, we did chat. <laughs> it didn't was we? quite yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, we actually had a chat. So yeah, it was. It was all good to to have your support and um, your interest. And yeah, it, it's a great trail, man. Um, I highly recommend anyone. Uh, you know get out to the southwest coast path and uh, go for a run it's it is a lovely part of britain yeah i was surprised surprised how beautiful it was if i'm honest i, I i've actually lived in devon for a bit and we often holiday on the north devon coast as a family uh, growing up and even now 
uh, but I was still really surprised. Um, I suppose I didn't know Cornwall so well, and, but also probably like you, surprised how tough it is sometimes as well. But yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, and that's a great, um, you said um, you used to live. So I want to actually go back a little bit and learn about, um, I was just on your website earlier, which for people who are interested in visiting is damienhall.info. No, sorry, damienhall.com is it? No, it's .info, .info, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Damien Hall. Did someone else get Damien Hall? I think Hall. they must have. I can't remember now. I made it about 10 years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's one or two people with the same oh, name. Um, it's a pretty good site. Actually. Oh, thank I you. thought it was just me. <laughs> really nice. Thank you. Really informative. No. And I was on your um, page, which is journalism and books. And uh, it says <laughs> after eight years of traveling, traveling and living abroad, uh, I moved back to the UK. I would really like to find out because I've heard so much about Damien, the runner, um, you know, FKT setter, uh, top 10 UTMB finisher. And uh, I really want to hear about the traveling Damien. So what were those eight years and, and did you do any traveling before that? Oh, that, that's a that's a refreshing question. I don't, don't really get asked about that because it was all kind of before I was a runner, really. So, um, yeah, I... Uh... I was living in London in, in, in the early sort of two, yeah, 2000, 2001, 2002, living in London, working as a, my first sort of proper grown up job as a, as a football journalist. Um, and I was really enjoying that to an extent, but, but then it changed a bit and I got a little bit bored, a relationship ended, had a little bit of savings and two of my good friends were going traveling. So I just kind of followed them. They'd already gone uh, and off I went, I got myself a one way ticket to a place, you know, well, Australia, um, and I went yeah. via, via Latin America. Um, so I think I had three months in Latin America, pretty much on my own with, with almost no Spanish, um, which is a bit, you know, a little bit ignorant in retrospect, but I, you know, I picked a bit up and, and, and tried, to be, tried to learn some bits. Um, yeah, had an incredible time there, very exciting. You know, when you first go traveling, it's, it's pretty exciting. And, and yeah, before that, growing up, all our, all our family holidays had been domestic. I, think, I don't know if that was mostly financial. Um, I'd hardly yeah. traveled. I've been to Greece once, I think. There might have been about it, maybe once in France. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's quite a cliched thing to do almost post-university, go and, go and find yourself. Um, but yeah, and then I arrived in Australia, caught up with my friends, you know, really fell, into, fell in love with that kind of traveling, traveling lifestyle, which if I'm honest is, especially in Australia and New Zealand, is quite a lot of sort of partying and um, you know, having, you know, hedonism and having a good time, but, but, you know, seeing incredible places and, and um, there's something exciting as well about arriving somewhere new, meeting new people and kind of having your slate wiped clean. Like, you know, you're not haunted by something you did when you were eight or 12. Not that I can think of anything terrible I did necessarily, but you can kind of start over each time, which is quite an interesting, interesting concept. Um, but yeah, I just, I really enjoyed Australia and I ended up, um, being lucky enough to get a job on a travel magazine there. So I ended up actually um, in total staying away for, for most of the, well, all of the rest of that decade, really. I did, did visit Britain two or three times. Oh. I spent probably six years living and working in, in Sydney. Um, and I actually stayed long enough to get an Australian, an Australian passport. Um, although, oh. yeah, I'm an, Austra I'm an Australian. Um, you heard it here, folks. First on uh, Christian Ultra Podcast. I should point out I'm an Australian except when the ashes are on. Uh, which, which I'm definitely not Australian <laughs> then. Um, um, yeah, I, I loved living there. I loved the lifestyle in Australia. Um, I still wasn't a runner, but I used to love doing 
um, hikes and treks in, in the Blue Mountains, the two national parks right next to Sydney as well, north and south. Um, where in Australia are you yeah. from? Or did you live? Well, I actually wasn't uh, born in Australia. My parents took us, uh, me and my youngest sister over there when I was four to North Queensland. In oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went up there. It's a big tourist hub, especially because it's where people yeah, visit the, the Barrier Reef from a lot, isn't it? Um, okay. Oh, yeah, wow. It, it is a big jump off from the Barrier Tropical. Reef. Yeah. <laughs> Warm up there. Um, <laughs> Pretty hot. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I loved, oh, I mean, I visited, I mean, I was a more, I preferred kind of the Tasmania type stuff. I went down there three times. Really wild um green scenery incredible down there really ancient landscapes and i was really getting into hiking um i was rediscovering you know after you know living in london and and just seeing more of the inside of pubs than, than much else um yeah exploring mountains and, and wilder places um i still wasn't a runner i'd play i'd play a bit of football but yeah it was the hiking and the trekking and then i did go back um well i had two trips with my with my now wife um we did an 11 month trip back through Latin America, kind of seeing all of it this time and Central America. Um, got back to Britain and actually we thought we were gonna settle there. This is about 2007. Um, yeah. When actually I straight away got offered a job back in Sydney on the same magazine um, as editor. So we actually moved back to Sydney for like another two years. So I didn't get back to Britain. I didn't settle again in Britain until yeah, 2010. Um, still wasn't a runner then, but yeah, it was it was hard. I don't know if you feel as kind of split. When I was living in Australia, we you, you you are just so far from from family. Like it's very, it's it, yeah, it's a big old island, isn't oh, it? There's you know, huge. I mean, we you, you know, in Europe we have the um, advantage of you know being able to drive to another country, another culture. You know, within twenty four hours. Where yeah, on Australia, um, you know, you're just on this massive big island where. Uh, yeah, I was having this conversation with my father. It is limited in terms of, you know, getting about. Yeah, I mean, you could drive for 24 hours in Australia and not see anyone or anything. Um, <laughs> but I loved, what I did love especially, well, it was the outside, it was the lifestyle, the outside lifestyle. Um, I mean, I'm stereotyping a bit, but I think it definitely made me a more positive person. Um, I had that sort of British cynicism, I think, when I got there and, and you know, just that, that Aussie sort of... Um, no worries she'll be right attitude did did rub off on me a bit and and you found people were just a bit more encouraging now i think than in britain like if you kind of said i'm going to go and try and do this three-day hike people wouldn't usually start saying oh what if you get bit by a snake what if a spider what if a crocodile they'd go oh good on yeah. you oh that that sounds you know there was just a bit more positivity um but after a while yeah i did miss family and think and think kind of well my 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 sister had a had a first child the kind of first grandchild in the family and i just kind of thought my parents won't be around forever um so we did come back um um yeah in 2010 um but yeah still lots of good friends in australia i i i, I um yeah lots of very happy memories and the light as well i, I miss that sense of space which is just vast isn't it and the, and the light um i didn't you know i don't i've never really loved the heat but like the light you just so often had more blue skies um yeah. And, yeah, and we did live for a while in Sydney on, on um, a relatively high flat, actually. Although that wasn't wouldn't be my sort of choice normally, but but like we just had this wonderful view of the sky so often, and it was um, I do remember that the view across Sydney. But if the if the sky was changing or the clouds at sunset or something, you really had these wonderful this wonderful light and, and sense of space, um, which I miss. But um, yeah, totally didn't know that about you. I mean, until I'd actually gone onto your site because I have listened to you. I know you've been on Talk Ultra several times. 
and um, other podcasts, you know, including the Ginger uh, Wild Ginger Runner and, and many more. But um, no, that's really um, pretty cool. Uh, you're, I've never been to South America, um, and it seems that you went back for an extended 11-month trip, you, you know, with your now wife. Um, what stands out about that country's uh, kind of culture and landscape that made you kind of go back? Well, it was just, uh, it was just so exciting, I think. Um, I mean, I think I'd already been through it and, and my wife hadn't visited. So it was kind of like she, she was very interested in, she, she had learned Spanish properly and had always been interested in, okay. in some of those countries. Um, there's lots of different things. I mean, when I originally went there, it was partly for the, the football culture, if I'm honest, because I was, I was really into football. I was a football journalist. So, you know, I, I went straight yeah. to sort of Argentina and Brazil, uh, saw lots <laughs> of games in Brazil. I even stayed with the Brazilian football journalist. That was really lovely. Um, um, when we went back, I suppose it was partly, you know, to share some of that with her. Um, the, land, the landscapes, yeah. especially if you go down in the South Patagonia, um, is obviously, you know, obviously really really stunning, really special. It's incredible glaciers and mountains. Um, and then there's a lot of history there too, the kind of, you know, the Incas and the, the Mayans and the Aztecs. Um, but I think really above all, actually, uh, the whole travel thing was often about just feeling a bit free and, you know, doing whatever mm. you want almost every day, which is, you know, a huge luxury that obviously a lot of people around the world don't, don't have. Um, but, you know, just, just giving yourself several months, and of course, you can live a lot more cheaply there um, for, for us. Um, you know, we're very lucky. Um, but it was, yeah, a lot of it is just that freedom. You know, there's no job to go to. There's no, no, no bills to, to worry about for, 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 for a short period of time. And you can just kind of do whatever you like, really. So that second time when I went back, I was much more into mountaineering and trekking and, and outdoor activities. Um, and yeah. I think by then I would, I would occasionally run, um, you know, maybe once or twice a week, but kind of just to get fit um to stay fit it wasn't it wasn't really for the pleasure of running if you know what i mean um i've realized that's changed yeah, over time i think so i would run but i would never say like i'm a runner i would say i'm a footballer and, a, and maybe a trekker or a mountaineer um yeah. so that came a bit later but yeah it's yeah a, a very exciting part of the world to to explore for anyone who gets the chance what what does your um family background uh do you have brothers and sisters and where did you grow up yeah, I've got two two younger sisters. Uh, one is um, quite close in age to me. We kind of grew up together, and then one's about seven years younger. Um, we we actually moved around quite a bit when we were young, around around the south of England. Um, so there were spells in yeah London, Dorset, Devon, uh, Gloucestershire. I was born in Gloucestershire, and then we ended up moving back to Gloucestershire um, around about when I was ten, and and then we have kind of been there ever since. Um, so for those who don't know, Gloucestershire is in yeah, what we call the Cotswolds, the Cotswolds mountains. Um, they're very, very small hills. It's quite a, quite a big tourist and farming region, really. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely place to grow up, to be honest. Um, and yeah, yeah went, went to school there. Um, my parents, yeah, they weren't sporty, but they were pretty outdoorsy. So, yeah, we did a lot of camping and, and, and hill walking um, growing up. What, what, what were your... Um parents uh, um uh, jobs what were they doing so my mum's always been an english english and drama teacher um my dad's got a slightly more and, and actually she's nearly always i don't think she's ever taught at like a conventional school it's always been with um children with with um 
I want to get this politically correct, um, children that are, that are struggling. It's not, it's not just learning difficulties. It's kind of below that. Um, often people with Asperger's and, um, um, okay. you know, that maybe adults as young adults as well, that, that, that might struggle a bit in, in, in sort of, if you just put them into society. So always very yeah. disadvantaged children. Um, so, you know, she's a real, real hero, I think for, for devoting so, so, yeah, much, of course, her, yeah, for, so much of her life to that. A lot of yeah. Um, yeah. And my dad was actually also a trained drama teacher, although, yeah, most of his working life, when I can remember, he's been a, a psychotherapist and, and also a storyteller, um, which was kind of, I think, a, sort of a sort of a hobby at first, but increasingly he would get books, you know, books to tell stories around the country. And um, I think they're often Celtic, Celtic mythology. Um, wow. Yeah, well, I always thought that was really embarrassing and strange. And then he he got he got booked <laughs> for Glastonbury Festival uh, when I was in my teens, and I was like, oh well. And then he got me and my sister a ticket each out of his pay, I think. So <laughs> suddenly, my dad. When yeah, were... I was very I was I was very happy with that. And suddenly, I was you know accepting of my dad and his strange job. Um, then yeah. Yeah, that's uh, two unique kind of careers. And and did you? Um ever in venture into the theatrical side of things like were you reenacting plays in the living room or uh, did you kind of not get into that i think my sister my middle sister was a very talented actor i believe i remember she had some lead roles at school um i think yeah i did enjoy i enjoyed theater or drama or, or whatever it was being called but actually what happened was um my gcse's were weren't very impressive i was quite quite lazy quite kind of distracted student and I would have done theatre studies A level except I, my GCSEs were so bad I was only allowed to do two A levels instead of the normal three um, and even then I failed one of those A levels and that A level was media studies where I'd end up working um, for, for several years afterwards um, which may have been almost a revenge thing where it was like I'll, I'll, I'll show the media studies people that I know about the media um, so yeah, yeah no I did have an enthusiasm for it but I think it it died around then, unfortunately. <laughs> what What were you distracted by? Like, you know, well, uh, girls, football, and uh, smoking dope. If I'm honest, <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. It, it, it sounds like me, but without the football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mostly those. I guess the dope smoking came a bit late. A bit late. Yeah, more in sort of middle to late teens. Um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just I, I just wasn't that engaged at school. I think were, were you were you quite a good student? No, I was not engaged at school. I I, I didn't have time for the football. I was more into the other <laughs> two. <laughs> well, completely flunked my uh, um, exam results, but yeah, so I t completely identify <laughs> with you there. There were good times though, you know. Yeah, there were good times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's, I mean, exam results, they kind of, they are important. I've got two kids now as well, so I've got to tell them they're important, but they're not, you know, they're not everything. I mean, it's better if you get the good grades and then, and then, I don't know, and then do the other stuff as well. Some people, I, that's the thing, I had good friends who managed to do both, you know, and it was like, oh, suddenly they were leaving for university and I wasn't. And it was like, oh, right. Oh, they still did the homework at weekends. Oh, whoops. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, good times, good times. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you, you do mention football a lot. And I take it you weren't just following it, but actually also playing it as well. Yes. But but <laughs> I, th I think, yeah, some people have misunderstood uh, how good I was. Um, 
yeah, I really, really wanted to be good at football. I played it a lot, but uh, I wasn't very good at all. So originally I could barely get in the school team. I was usually the substitute. Um, and in fact, uh, now I think of it, my first ever game of football, I was substituted off at half time because I was so bad. Um, and, and ultimately my, I mean, I did improve a bit over time, but my apps, you know, on paper, my highlight of playing football was when I was about 17 and I was in the Forest Green Rovers youth team, but I was only in, so Forest Green Rovers, no one will have heard of them, I'm sure, but they're in the fourth division at the moment, but then they're in about seventh or eighth division. I was in their new youth team, but actually I couldn't get in their youth team um, at the beginning of the season. They only called me up right at the end when they had a lot of injuries and they were struggling for players. And so the highlight was playing for them and we lost 8-0. So that's kind of, that's how good I was. 8-0, I mean, I don't even follow football, but I know that's pretty um, <laughs> brutal. That's a, that's a brutal loss. That's, that's pretty bad, yep, yep. M- morale's just going down and by the end, I don't know what you would have felt like, but anyway, good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah so i guess let's move on to running you know uh we've heard about the traveling the uh, dope smoking uh and um the relentless um chasing after the girls or maybe the girls are chasing <laughs> you but it also a good platform to start the rest of the podcast on um yeah so um your first I, I know you've written here that you're um, again on your website because it is a wonderful source i do recommend people go and set check it out damienhall.info um that you, your first um half marathon changed your life and i you know i know that i speak to a lot of people and they say you know the first marathon including myself changed my life but what was it about the half marathon that changed your life well i, I should i should there's one thing i keep forgetting to mention uh, i suppose that i i did do some cross run country races at school and I, I did do quite well in fact in the sixth form so we're talking like uh 16 to 18 I did win some yeah. cross-country races and I think that was mostly because some other kids my age had got they'd got into cider and cigarettes and maybe dope smoking just just a year or two before me so they were less in- interested and suddenly there didn't yeah. seem to be as many good runners around so I did win one or two races you know local races it's not a very competitive area really in, in, in Stroud Stroud district um, so I had some but I wasn't that interested in it. I wanted to play football um, and, and, the, and do the previous things we'd mentioned. Um, so I sort of, yeah, I forgot all about it really. But then I moved back to Bath, in, in, um, which is also in the Cotswolds, in, in, in 2010. Um, and they have the Bath Half Marathon here is quite a big event. They have over 10,000 people. Um, and so I kept seeing signs for it. And there was something in my back of my head kind of saying, you, you used to be quite good at running or... or or at least let's try it, see, you know, and I was feeling a bit unfit. So I signed up um, and I just, I suppose I just loved the experience. I, I guess I loved the training too, that sense of mission, you know, start standing on the start line and not knowing if you can complete the distance, which, you know, to me on you, to me and you, I suppose seems kind of crazy now when we've done so much longer distances, but all those distances for the it's first, relative. yeah, yeah, the first time. I mean, I guess I was fairly confident. Yeah, I'd walk it even if I couldn't run but you've got that sense of fear and excitement haven't you um and there was just a lovely atmosphere i um you know it was a road race and a short one really but i hadn't really experienced um anything like that for quite a long time and, and i just straight away thought i want to do more of this this is this is yeah. exciting um but i wasn't yeah i wasn't really aware i should have just bought runners world or whatever or, or you know or, but but there wasn't really a website 
if I remember, or a magazine telling me about trail running or ultra running, it was another year or two before I sort of discovered that stuff. But I straight away mm. thought I like I want to do more of this. So I, the next year I was doing my first marathon um, uh, at Brighton, um, dressed dressed as a toilet. Um, yeah, toilet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, for for I had a charity place with Water Aid, um, and you could have the choice between a a costume uh, running as a tap or running as a toilet. And, and I just thought, you know, what's going to get me the most sponsorship? Um, and yeah, obviously, be the yeah, yeah. And people, people shouted, they all shouted the same pun, actually. They all shouted, you look a bit flushed, mate. Um, <laughs> I got that quite a lot. Obviously it's funny at the beginning. Um, yeah. And, but, but it's still, so, so, so it was really more for fun. That first marathon, uh, you weren't looking to kind of get a PB, or maybe you were, but the PB is a toilet. You know? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I do remember saying to my wife just a, just a few days beforehand that I felt frustrated now because I had this kind of comedy costume and I was actually quite keen yeah. to do my best run. And I ran I ran three seventeen, which um, wow. I guess for a debut marathon isn't bad. Like when I t- I totally hit the wall, like on mile seventeen or eighteen, that was the longest I'd ever run. So I went and I I was going too fast. I wasn't getting enough fuel in. You know the three the three big mistakes that that make you hit the wall. Yeah, and, and wearing a and toilet. Wearing the toilet you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, bang straight into the wall. Um, really, you know, I really suffered after that. Um, but yeah, the crowds were incredible. Sense of achievement at the end, obviously, and and just that flood of endorphins. Um, I don't know if I. I don't know what I felt afterwards. Whether I felt I want to do more of this or not, if I'm honest. But luckily, later that year. Um, a magazine I was writing for sent me on my first ultra marathon. Now I was beginning to get the idea of, you know, these ultra marathons. I was reading it in this same magazine called, called outdoor fitness. Um, and, mm. but they all sounded, you know, pretty, pretty crazy. Like, you know, not something I could do, you know, um, I suppose on the level of like an Ironman or something, you know, just this thing that, yeah, was probably beyond what I could do. Um, but they sent me on, 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 on my first one of those later in the year. And yeah, I definitely remember the feeling after that one was quite different. It was much more positive in terms, like the marathon had been great, but after the first ultra marathon, it was much more of a kind of, oh, wow, this is for me. There was better camaraderie, obviously better scenery. Um, the aid stations were a lot better as well, a lot more cake. Um, I, yeah, I straight away felt I want to do more of this, actually. This is this is my thing. Yeah. Um, y- you know, I want to um, ask you about... Uh your coaching history as in being coached as an athlete because I really admire the way that to get the best out of yourself you go to someone who is an expert um, and you learn from them you know and then when um, you know you've learned everything you need to kind of move on and 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 learn from another expert so do you want to talk about your first coach, your relationship and what you learned and how it helped you as a runner? Yeah. So I've ended up, um, I've ended up having five, working with five coaches so far. Um, that's Amazing. not, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not because I fall out with them or, or anything. It's usually because. <laughs> You're a diva. Yeah. yeah just like, <laughs> oh, that's it. I've had enough. I've, I've got to go running. What? <laughs> um, um, well, at least two of them, if I'm totally, yeah, two of them, I think three of them actually have been, you know, I didn't, I basically, I didn't have enough money to afford a coach at, at that time um, early on, but I could give them good magazine coverage. So I could say, you know, this, you know, I'm coached by this person and they trained me this way. And, and, and I think for three of them, so it was often a short term agreement of like, 
if you coach me for three or six months. Um, but definitely later on, when I've had longer term coaching, you know, for every year with people, it definitely gets a lot more. I mean, I'm bound to say this on it because I'm a coach now as well. But but like the longer the relationship, the better it the better it's been for certain because you 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 know you get to understand each other a lot more. You can see what works and, and, and what doesn't and so on. But yeah, the first coach, I mean, I knew nothing really. I'd just done that first ultra. Um, he, well, if I'm totally honest, I, I won't name him because I think he, he did give some, some bad advice, um, which was around the sort of, you need, you knew you need to lose some weight areas, which is, you know, can be quite, can be quite dangerous for people. Um, so he was telling me to run, you know, run a lot more than ever and, and eat less than ever at the same time, which, you know, is, is quite irresponsible really. Um, and you know, I think I got away with it, but is, you know, that for a lot of people that's going to lead to injury or, or at least burnout or plateauing. Um, let's just say he knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who he is. <laughs> um, but then I, yeah, then I had two, two more short term, but yeah, I mean, he, he kind of taught me, you've got to almost see yourself as a, as an, as an elite runner, be serious, you know, get, get the best kit, get a good watch. Um, you know, tr- be serious about your training, get out there most days, you know, probably six days a week, nearly every coach I've had, it's been, you know, six days a week. Um, um, and then I had two other coaches who were, who were very useful to me. Uh, Marcus Scottney coached me for a while. Um, who's a GB, GB athlete. Um, who, who's, you know, excellent, you know, yeah, lots of race wins. He's very good and, and a friend. Um, and he's very into the heart rate, heart rate training. So we, we did a proper heart rate, you know, uh, lactate blood test on, uh, um, and, and then he can really set your zones from there. Um, and I seem to get some interesting. Did, did you get your max heart rate then? Did you find that out? I don't know if we found out max heart rate, but we got the, you know, the lactate, um, threshold and the lactate turn, turn point. So we could, he could clearly identify yeah, them. Okay. Um, and then yeah. he would, and then, so then he would know the zones, um, or at least yeah. the zones to start in. Um, but I mean, you know, heart rate training gets yeah widely debated. Um, I mean, I guess after a while I found it a bit boring, if I'm honest. Um, and you're looking at your watch all the time, which I don't don't love. But but he he started training me out of I had been injured a little bit, uh, and so he started we started me off from fairly from fresh. And just having a, a full month, or maybe it was even two months, um, of just easy slow running, actually set me up really nicely. Um, and and that was a good reminder. A good um, it really showed that yeah, just just the slow running. And then of course you start adding in the hills and speed work and so on. But just that slow running got me really nice and fit. Actually, it was a really good foundation. Um, there's always a temptation. Yeah. They call it building your house, don't yeah. they? Yeah, you know. I think he even almost used that. that phrase, building the foundations for the house. Um, yeah. yeah. So that that was good. Um, and then I've also worked briefly with um, Elizabeth Barnes um, because she, you know, she's won Marathon de Sable twice, and I was doing the Coastal Challenge in Costa Rica. So yeah, a hot multi-stage race. So to me, she was the obvious person. She knew about hot multi-stage races. Um, and she, she was really good. Um, you know, again, that was only two or three months. Um, but I, I definitely learned from her. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so they were very useful. They were, they were, they were very helpful. And I, I, I did seem to jump up, if not jump up the distances, but, or maybe become a little bit competitive domestically, I suppose, not, you know, not outstandingly, but, you know, quite quickly, I suppose. Um, and I do think it was a lot to do with, well, partly it was all the passion and enthusiasm I had for it. I just loved this new sport, but, but it was to do with having coaches yeah. as well. Um, I think that really helped. And um, I mean, I know from 
hearing you on other podcasts. I know you didn't mention I- Ian Sharma's name. You, you were coached by Ian Sharma. Yes. So yeah, well. I ended up uh, working with him for about 18, 18 months, I think. So yeah, he, he, he helped me um, certainly. Um, and he was very, the thing I learned from him, I think above all else was to be very deliberate about recovery. Um, you know, foam rolling regularly, massages regularly. Um, he's really into his weight vest hikes, as some people will know. So yeah. I, I was doing them quite a lot, um, which are, which are quite an interesting and, and again debated sort of um, training stimulus. Uh, but I did them for a while, and they they seemed to help me. I did my I did probably proper strength work for the first time. Although other other coaches had encouraged that, I I think I really knuckled down and did that for the first time. Um, so yeah, and and if I'm honest, he was really good at. I had a kind of breakthrough race under him and he would really drilled it into me about just pacing, just pacing a race smartly. Um, hold, you know, just being able to hold back, be disciplined. Um, and yeah, I had a breakthrough domestic race, um, at the Highland fling. It was a trial for the GB team. And, um, you know, there were a lot of good domestic runners there. And I think I surprised myself and everyone in placing, in placing second, um, and it really was because I'd, you know, I was fitter than ever. And that was, you know, as much, if I'm honest, probably, probably as much down to me as it, as Ian, but you know, he trained me well. Well, he'd only been working with me a few weeks, if I'm honest, but it was more, it was more teaching me to be patient in a race, to pace it smartly. I, I do remember either you or him saying one of the methods or strategy, strategies or tactics or all three of them was to uh, not really look up and be aware too much early on who's at the front. Is that right? Yeah. So one thing he said was like, yeah, yeah try not to race any tr- or see the race in two halves. The first half, almost try not to, well, almost try not to notice anyone else. Um, yeah. Try not to know where That's you it. are in the race almost. I mean, yeah. you know, I've seen him, I've watched him race. I feel. Yeah. But, but don't race. Yeah. Don't think he's getting away from me in the, in the first half. In yeah. the second half. Yeah. Do that because hopefully you're that five or 10% fresher and you're catching people and you're thinking, right, I'll get the next guy. I'm sixth. I'm going to be fifth or, you know, and, and all of that. But if you can try and put that out of your mind in the first half. And I really did. I did do that. I mean, I knew I was in the top 10 and I guess it was hard not to know. I was somewhere between six, six and eight, I think. But, but we had let, I was running with another guy quite a bit, which was quite useful because we were sort of having conversations, but not, not free flowing, easy conversations because we were working a little bit harder than that, mm. but we could still have conversations, which I think was quite, quite telling on the pace we were doing. Um, but we'd let them go and we weren't, we weren't thinking too much about them. And, and then from halfway, yeah, people just, people ahead of me just slowed down and I just carried on at the same pace. Yeah. And it was quite, it was revelatory actually that, that, yeah, I didn't have to push on anymore. I just, you know, luckily judged it a little bit and, and yeah, it was interesting to see. Um, so yeah, the tortoise. The tortoise does tend to beat the hare. Yeah, I, no, I think it's really sound advice. And then, um, are you are you currently coached, or, yeah, so, or more recently, have you had a coach? So yeah, after Ian, um, I had two years uh, being self coached because I, I thought, well, I've had four coaches now. I, I've I've learned quite a lot, and and probably like yourself, I got very obsessed with you know how do we train, how do we be the best ultra runner we can be. So yeah, much like you, I'm, I'm addicted to podcasts and I've got numerous books on, <laughs> on ultra running, you know, I've got shelves and shelves of it and I love reading all that you know stuff. know me too well, uh, David. <laughs> Sorry, say that yeah. again. You know me too well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
and and then I also did the um, UK athletics coaching running fitness qualification, um, which isn't, if I'm honest, it's a nice thing to have, but it's not, it's not about ultra running. I mean, it's, you know, but, but you get some of the foundations in there of, of, you know, how to, yeah, I suppose how to get fit smartly, you know, I suppose in a healthy way. Um, yeah. And yes, yeah, so I self coached for two years. And, and in that spell, I had my best ever year, um, which was probably, yeah, culminated in, in fifth place at UTMB. Um, and then the following year, I wasn't quite as, things didn't go quite as smoothly. Now, there are, there, could, there are lots of reasons for that, and I won't bore people, but it just seemed like another, it just seemed like, well, why don't I get a coach again to just get, just even if it's almost a friend that I bounce ideas off or just looks over my plan uh, and says, oh, I wouldn't yeah. do that, or I would do that instead. I just thought it's time, also with my age, um, I'm 44, like I don't have that many years left at doing races you know uh, trying to be competitive at things like utmb so i kind of thought i don't want to mess around for too long why don't i get um you know yeah expert advice so uh went to well i looked at who was doing the best in most races and it seemed to be everyone seemed to be coached by david roach uh the american coach yeah. so so at the moment yeah i've been working with him for um less than a year but nearly a year um and that's been that's been great as well he's um I mean, he's on lots of podcasts, so so he is the kind of guy that you feel like you already know. Um, yeah, yeah. Of... I've listened to him a bunch, and he's such a friendly guy. Just sounds, just sounds like a a, a great uncle or just a just someone who will look after you yeah. kind of thing. You know? No, he's. I mean, if nothing else, he's super enthusiastic, but and very encouraging, very supportive, fills you full of belief. But also, when you do question him you know about specific things he does really know his stuff and i think people who read his he does a regular column for i think it's trail runner magazine in, the, in america and anyone who reads that would, would know as well that he definitely knows his stuff you know he's a former lawyer um he you know he's more obsessed with with the sport than i am i think um so yeah he's been fascinating to work with um and i guess the key thing with him as well as probably the enthusiasm and the belief that side of things so he is trying to you know he is trying to make me happy and keep me happy you know his book is called happy runner um but there are there are studies that show you know kind of the, the happier you are the more like you are to oh. perform as um uh, yeah there's nothing better than a happier runner i mean really i think the perform like look at usain bolt uh, crossing the finish line uh he looked relaxed and and at ease and happy he didn't look tense and and kind of stressed or anxious so i think a happy runner is a good start for sure yeah, no, I think it's yeah. um, and, and obviously it's it's tough, isn't it? In, in in the type of races and challenges we do, it's tough to be um, happy all the time. But I was listening to uh, a podcast with you on this morning, the the Talk Ultra interview, and um, yeah, you talked about the, yeah. the positivity and and trying to try not to dwell on when things weren't working out the way you wanted. Try not to dwell on that and to to kind of accept them. So it sounds like you're you're well tuned into that side of things. But also at the same time, I mean, it's yeah. impossible to always be positive. I think, and if you're running through the night and 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 yeah, getting, you know, I think we're all a bit grumpy. Well, I'm definitely a bit grumpy sometimes, as much as I try not to be. But um, yeah, the positivity. I, thing I think, good. yeah, I think I think what's quite funny about that is I, I I can't remember when or where it was, but maybe it was on the southwest coast path. But I was pissed off, so I actually I said I started speaking out loud to myself, and I was saying out loud all the things I was pissed off at. And by the end of it, I felt le less pissed right. off. So I kind of allowed myself to be pissed off. Didn't think, oh, I'm so happy about this. No, I, and, um, and it was just good to kind of actually say it out loud. And then it's easier to let go and then obviously move on to being a bit more positive and stuff like that. So, 
yeah 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 um yeah good good well well that's uh, a really um yeah i hope you don't mind me asking about the coaching i'm just trying to find out what makes you um a, a pretty awesome runner um and maybe we could shift over to the uh, nutritional side of things um and uh wh where were you at with nutrition uh before you started running and where <laughs> are you at with now yeah um well i'm quite lucky in that in the um i i near me um there's a sports dietitian called Rini mcgregor who um i've known for se several years and she's turned into one of kind of the the um what's the word um sort of not pioneer but like yeah one of the most sought after sports dietitians um uh certainly in britain um she's worked with you know olympians and, and football clubs and um lots of elite runners um and i actually um i actually coach coach her and in exchange i've got sort of you know i've got oh, someone yeah i've got someone that i can ask nutrition questions too so i so if in doubt i've always like we said about going to experts i've always gone to her um she has uh yeah a really useful book for runners called fast fuel which is um yeah just really accessible but all science-based um so how has it changed yeah I, I think i i'm more conscious about eating yeah eating lots of vegetables and, and fruit but I, I certainly don't follow anything that anyone else would call a diet um I, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, I, I need lots of, lots of carbohydrates, but, but obviously you try and, you try and have the better quality ones. Um, you know, I eat lots of, you know, a fair bit of protein and fat, but again, you try and have the, the organic quality, quality ones. Um, I think, I think it gets overcomplicated yeah. and quite tribal. Um, really, I mean, I try and eat, yeah, I try and eat plenty of fruit and veg and, and certainly, certainly definitely carbohydrates. And, um, I mean, in the last year or so, I've started to think more about, I suppose my own carbon footprint and which foods have, yeah, which foods create more carbon and, and other greenhouse gas emissions, which led me to, um, yeah, I, I guess I stopped, stopped eating red meat and, and I did cut out dairy for, for quite a while, for half a year. I must admit, I am having a little bit at the moment because after I did a long run in, in the summer and afterwards my body just really craved dairy. So I thought I'm just going to listen mm. to my body for a little bit and 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 have some again, um, and I haven't quite haven't quite shaken that off. But yeah, <laughs> I guess my considerations. But I've always done that very carefully. So I guess I'd call myself kind of vegan curious. Um, but I do still have chicken and chicken and fish at the moment. So that's not not that <laughs> wouldn't impress any vegans or even a vegetarian. But it's more <laughs> about it's more about for me, you know, what's more friendly for the environment, I suppose. But it's such a complex area as i'm sure you 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 must have many conversations on it well it's such a complex area um but i'm i guess i'm just trying to be yeah trying to be as healthy as i can trying to be the best athlete and then trying to be conscious of the planet as well where you know where possible um but if in doubt i suppose i ask you know i go to Rini mcgregor um and get her take on yeah. things um yeah what what do you um go to when you're when all that goes out the window you know when you don't feel like being healthy and yeah. you um don't feel like being conscious uh of the planet and what kind of things are you eating on a um you know like on a bad day or something oh it probably is the it's the classic well it's probably the chocolate you know like a lot of people probably chocolate and chocolate yeah. and cakes and and so on i mean and also you know when it comes to race day or challenge day uh you know fkt day i mean most of that goes out the window and it's 
you know, it's, I mean, I am experimenting without, you know, without using gels at all this year, simply because of the plastic waste, yeah. but, but it's still, it's still sugars and chocolates and, and, but, yeah. but that said, when a challenge is, is, is a long one, you know, over 50 miles or so. Yeah. For me, I'm not going to get by just on sugars and chocolates. So, so there is, I suppose, sandwiches and flapjacks and, and bananas. I mean, fruit, fruits, fruits, very good. Um, so I, I don't know if I have one yeah. go-to thing. Oh, I suppose also like, yeah, I don't tend to drink alcohol very much at all. I mean, after, oh, that's interesting. yeah, I think, yeah. um, well, I mean, it's, it's easy now cause I'm always off running. I haven't really got any friends anyway. So, uh, it's you don't really I don't and also this year's situation I mean there's a lot of socializing as well isn't there so it's it's been relatively easy I mean after a big race or a run I usually allow myself a week or two of of kind of almost whatever I want and then I usually do there was you know there was a fair bit of red wine um drunk after yeah. running the Penang way but um yeah what no I, what I about you it, it's no I definitely think no going back to something that you were saying um about your reasons for choosing to eat certain things. I, I heard a um, oh, an old wise man <laughs> on a podcast or something say something like, as we physically uh, become weaker, morally, we should grow stronger. And um, <clears throat> so like, if you're kind of like eating for health or you're eating for your moral beliefs um, or your stance morally, I think that the person who will uh, be eating due to maybe, for example, the environment or to reduce the carbon footprint or just something more than health um, will probably have a stronger foundation and, and continue to pursue that. Whereas potentially if you're trying to be healthy, um, I'm not saying that everyone who tries to eat healthy uh, will come short, but I'm just saying, yeah, there's two different views. Isn't there? Like Scott Jurek did the Appalachian Trail. Um, ran 2000 and something miles, but did it on a vegan diet. Cause that's his belief, you know, his belief system. So, um, whereas Carl Meltzer ran the other way and ate whatever there was, you know? Um, so, but it both, it worked, it's different for different people about me. I guess I, what I love, uh, Ben and Jerry's actually, you know, <laughs> ice cream. I went to the, um, Ben and Jerry's factory in uh, Vermont last year when I was in America, two visits, <laughs> two, um, so yeah i'm a big fan of that did you I'm, get much ice otherwise, cream on, same the, on the southwest coast path yeah i had a couple um about two or three and there's a particular um clotted cream is it or something oh That's right yeah. I don't know. yeah some quite um ca calorific ice creams <laughs> down there and they were really tasty and they worked as well you know nice. so but yeah when i'm when i'm being healthy i think yeah getting lots of brightly colored um, whole foods into your body and that works um, so I haven't even really spoke about your races and your running but I, I think it's nice because people are hearing about you know um, your traveling past and you know what have been your guiding factors in terms of you know your coaches and your yeah your um, diet what's your you say you haven't got much time left you know and that's only I guess, competitively at the highest level because you've got lots of time left, you know? Um, so there's obviously a drive inside of you. Um, what's the ultimate, where is your big kind of five year goal or whatever? Um, do you have <coughs> something like that? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. And yes. Um, yeah. I, yeah. You're, you're totally right to correct me. And I don't, I don't mean like I've only got, 
haven't got much time left running, but but I think, yeah, realistically to be able to, well, I never really compete at UTMB, but but you know to to, to get into the top ten again, like there aren't many more years where I'll be able to do that. I don't think, but there'll be lots of other great challenges available. Um, but it probably will be going, yeah, going to, to the longer races, the longer challenges. That's the most likely, the most kind of logical way to go. Um, so yeah, no, I'm still very excited about doing that. But there is an element of playing catch up in that. Yeah, I was 30, 35, 36, I think, when I did that first half marathon, and then um, four years after that, actually, yeah, four years from from that first marathon, I was in the GB trail running team um, after after that race race I mentioned, the Highland Fling uh, in 2016 went went well. Um, so I had, but I was 40 then already, so I had this sense of a real sense of wanting to catch up almost of. Um, I'd found, you know, I'd played football for forever and not been any good. And then I found running and gone, oh, well, it does suit me a bit. Um, so I, I had this sense of, yeah, wanting to make up for lost time, which I think has helped helped propel me along a bit. Um, but yeah, in terms of a five-year plan type thing, I don't know, maybe not. I mean, I've had big goals along the way. So, I mean, probably much like you early on, after a few races, it was like, wow, 100 miles. Like that, to run 100 miles was yeah. this you know, incredible big round number, isn't it? Um, and that, that was an incredibly exciting target. And then I did get obsessed with um, the spine race for a little bit in Britain, um, which I did twice, uh, which is 268 miles for those who don't know it. Um, and then it was UTMB around that time I did UTMB and I was like, wow, um, it's just such a different event to anything we've got in Britain. It's just such a, yeah, it's just a huge event, a whole festival. Um, there are big crowds. It's very noisy. I mean, I've come to the stage where maybe it's a bit too noisy for me now. Maybe that's just my age kicking in. But I, I so I did that four years in a row consecutively because I was so into that particular race. And I guess, yeah, I got obsessed towards the end. Could I get into the top 10? Could I? Could I? Um, so in terms of big goals after that, I mean, yeah, I think like you, there's a whole load of FKTs which are exciting. And, and this year has opened my mind a little bit about like actually to an extent, I wouldn't say FKTs are better than races, but like to an extent, I've enjoyed this year a lot in terms of, okay, there are pretty much no races, so it's not the option anymore. I used to fill up the year, three or four big races, and then there's pretty much not room for anything else. Whereas now it's like, well, you can almost not only do FKTs, but it's more logical to be doing personal projects. And I've actually enjoyed that more, I think. Um, And there's so much to do there. Um, so, you know, whether it's Britain or internationally, I don't know if I've got one big, I think the Pennine Way, if I'm honest, which, which I did in July, that was something that was on my mind for several years. So that did feel like a bit of a Holy Grail. Um, I had, I had walked it, um, and then I done the spine race twice. So I'd, I'd really been along, which is on the Pennine Way. Um, that felt like a big one for me, I, I think. So, yeah, I'm maybe still thinking about what, what bigger long-term goals are. I mean, first, I need to come back to the Southwest Coast Path and try and get my record back from, I don't know if you heard, but some rascal uh, ran round it quicker than me, Christian, and I need to go and get that record back. You know, I'll, I'll help you with that. I'll be there um, pacing, the, you know, um, secretly like uh, pulling your calories out of your box. <laughs> you go, calorie deficient, because I was that rascal. <laughs> Now, I, you know, I got to say, um, your uh, most recent uh, success at the Pennine Way FKT was, it, it is, it is mind blowing. I mean, uh, 200, is it 260 or 268? Oh, I'm glad you spotted that. 
because most people don't but yeah it's a technicality the the official trail distance is 268 but that includes a couple of little optional loops or detours so the, yeah. the distance me and john both ran john kelly set a record a few uh, a week before me we both ran 260 miles um that's what our watch is recorded um so yeah we we debated like which well we we looked back at the record mm -hmm. 31 years before us and and checked with that guy about which detours he did so uh this won't interest that many people but we just did one minor detour to the summit of the cheviot early on because he had done that back 31 years ago so we wanted to keep it as loyal yeah. to what he'd done as we could um so yeah it's 260 really so yeah a lot yeah. easier yeah. I, I mean that's just um and the way you approached it uh is it's kind of mind-blowing i mean it's sleep deprivation to the absolute um max maybe you've got more in you uh i guess you'll find out on your next challenge whatever <laughs> that is but um you know it, the the record what is the exact time that you set there? so what was it uh yeah so mike hartley's record from 1989 was two days and 17 hours and then yeah so that had stood for a long long time and then john kelly who's a who's an american well i'm, I'm sure most of your listeners will know john kelly but he lives quite near me in britain so i'd consider him a good friend um our families have met up we we very occasionally train together you know when 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 we can sort of when we can do that with with families um uh and we both knew we were both going going for this run so we were communicating quite a lot during lockdown um and he ran, ah, I might have to look it up, but I think it was two hours. He knocked 34 minutes off, I think. So it was two days and 16 wow, hours and something. And then uh, what yeah. did I do? Did I do two hours, two days and 13? I knocked three hours off what John had done to my, to yeah. my surprise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because in a way it was a different type of, I don't know, when I thought about the Southwest Coast Path, um, I don't know if you saw it the same, but, or, you know, back in, back in 2016 when i ran it, it to me in my mind it was obviously there was a decent record on it but it was all about the distance like i was so that big number of 206 630 miles was just such an immense thing in my mind with this one i mean 260 miles obviously is still intimidating a, a, a decent a decent outing but it was much yeah. more about how fast that record was for me um but so i was quite intimidated by that but actually when i broke it down it was actually only just over four miles an hour that I had to travel. So that's kind of how I made it more accessible in my mind. I think I did travel However, at 4.1 or something. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but I think that's without sleep, isn't it? Yes, that's the average overall. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, you know, so yeah, it, it, that's without sleep. So, yeah. I mean, why don't you go into, into, into that element of it how did you break down because you're either moving or you're not moving and how many times did you not move and sleep and 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 how did you structure that and did you practice it in training so um i figured i'd be i guess yeah i i, I guess the spine race i guess like you i've done several several challenges and races where where you might run through the night once and and so that's reasonably comfortable for me um and, and you know we we all develop a few tactics which usually is kind of making sure we feel well and and caffeine and sugars when we're when we're struggling a bit um usually one night is is okay um it's doable, yeah, isn't it? yeah yeah one night. yeah um yeah. but also mike hartley yeah when he set the record in 1989 he he, he didn't sleep at all he ran all the he ran you know the whole time 
uh, pretty much. Um, although, although I was lucky to see his splits and he, he did stop at quite a lot of road crossings. So actually he did three hours of stops overall. He would stop quite regularly, but just for one or two minutes, but it, it totaled three hours. Um, and then John, John had a, had a, had a bit of a rougher time. Actually, he had um, some, some quite bad tummy issues. So he was, he wasn't getting the calories in and he ended up sleeping. I think he said for close to two hours in total. So the way I was factoring it in my mind a bit was like, well, John slept for two hours. Mike had three hours of rests. Um, you know, that's some time there that hopefully I can capitalize on. Although it never always goes that smoothly, does it? But my idea was that I'd be fine for the first night or, or at least okay. Um, but the second night I probably would need, you know, some power naps, one or two. Um, and I just expected to, you know, I was supported. So I had a van ready. Um, it didn't really have a bed or anything, but it, you know, there was a sort of mattress and sleeping bag ready. Um, um, but actually I, I ended up having power naps earlier than I anticipated. And that is on the, on the first, the morning of the second, second day I had one. Okay. Um, but really I can see now that I'd, yeah, I'd slipped too far into a calorie deficit. There was a period, um, on about a hundred miles. I knew I needed a good feed and I, sh I was so obsessed with being efficient that I, you know, I, I left my crew with a, with a, you know, a rehydrated meal, but actually I went right off it and I'd never had it before. And it, it wasn't, that wasn't very nice. Um, but I, it was that first coach haunting you coming back, run, yes. don't eat, run, don't eat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Don't run more than ever, eat less than ever. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think, from there i was yeah i didn't have an well you, you simply can't get all the calories in when you do something like this that that um that you're expelling uh or, or using um if you're not really properly stopping um so i was always going to have some sort of deficit but i remember that spell now you know thinking back i should have just waited two or three more minutes and, and had a or five maybe even ten and had a proper feed and then carried on but i was yeah. quite obsessed with with efficiency um and i didn't have a good feed there so by the morning i was you know you, you know what it's like you're feeling a bit powerless and a bit empty and and you're not exactly sure why um so i tried yeah. a power nap that yeah. seemed to revive me for a bit i i guess i hoped and can i just can i just jump yeah. in there there's two questions what time did you start uh six in the morning okay so you'd gone through all day you'd kind of gone through the night you'd missed out on some uh needed calories and then the next day of the day two morning, you had a power nap. And how long was your power I think, nap? I, I think that was maybe about eight or nine in the morning. And I lay down for about 15 minutes and probably had about 10 minutes. Um, exactly. But I've had, yeah. yeah, I've had quite a lot of experiences of power naps being quite effective. Um, but on that one, yeah, I feel like it revived me for a couple of hours, but I still felt a bit off. So by about five or six in the afternoon, I had, I tried another power nap. Um, and yeah, it didn't work that time. I didn't. And again, 15 yeah, that minutes, was the idea, so... but I didn't actually drop off. Yep. Um, whether it was, you know, could have been a combination of factors. Maybe there's a bit of caffeine in me. There were a few people talking like, yeah. uh, maybe ultimately the power net wasn't what I needed. It was just having more of a feed. Um, but then, so I, I carried on and, you know, I was still making okay progress. I wasn't, I don't think I was really losing time yet, but I could just feel like it was starting to not unravel, but like, I don't feel great. There's still quite a long way to go. So um, yeah. it was actually a friend who, who said, maybe you should try a longer sleep. But the danger there is, and that did seem to work. So I lay down for 45 minutes. Um, 
and, and probably slept for about, about on this is on day two after the second power nap about when i think this is about half past eight at night eight or nine so when oh, i got okay. up again so it was starting to get dark um yeah but you know uh, according to the sort of theories on sleep actually 45 minutes isn't isn't a very smart amount to sleep because our cycles are 90 minutes to go into dark to into deep sleep and out again so actually it's almost the worst amount which for some reason like i've known that for a long time but for some reason i mean just the idea of sleeping for a bit longer seemed seemed smart but but like an hour and a half that was you know at the time i was three three to four hours up on the record so it's quite hard to give up the time actually even though you sort of know you need it so it's quite an internal battle of but as my friend pointed out like i'd probably just slow and slow and slow if i didn't have some sort of sleep so i, I did that and actually felt a lot better for a few hours but then but then when I was fully into that second night, yeah, I was quite a zombie for a few hours there. But I was lucky. I was with um, Nikki Spinks by then. And she's very, you know, record-breaking fell runner, very good at this sort of thing. She wouldn't, well, it's not that she wouldn't let me sleep, but when I suggested that might be what I needed, she wouldn't give that idea much <laughs> consideration at all. And she'd like thrust a sweet in my face or, um, I don't like coffee, but at one point she persuaded me that a coffee bean wouldn't taste like coffee. Uh, and obviously it does and it's disgusting so I was spitting that out everywhere but at least that kind of woken me up um, and I could swear at her for a bit so that that was something to uh, keep keep me awake um, but yeah she got me through and my, and my other paces got me through that second night where I, I was slowing but as you probably found yourself when when the sun comes up like it can be such a reviving and, and I, I thought this is my last day um, the sun's coming up you know and I did you know I picked up from there mostly uh, there were still a few ups and downs but but that was kind of I was through that second night that was always going to be the tough, the tough time, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, and what time did you then, so you did day one, you did day two, you had your two 15 minute power naps, one, you didn't sleep, you had a 45 minute sleep about eight o'clock day two. So then you got through the night sunrise and then kind of what time did you finish that next day? I think day? it was about seven ish. If I remember seven, 20 past seven. Um, PM. It was a nice, yeah, seven PM. yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nice time to finish. Actually, I, I judged my whole schedule so that, so as I say, yeah, I don't, don't drink, don't drink alcohol much. And I hadn't drunk, I think for three or four months before this, but I judged the, I the, the Penang way starts at a pub and finishes at a pub. And, um, I judged it so that even if I only just beat John's record by, I think 20 minutes, I would still be in time for it to get a drink before, before the pub would shut. So that was quite, you know, I had several motivating factors, but that was another little kind of fun one. And also that was for my team as well in that it's a kind of a bit, a bit rubbish to, to, you know, finish it two or three in the morning and, and then there's nothing, there's, there's kind of, yeah. it's more difficult to celebrate. You don't want to wake up people in that village. Um, I mean, it fitted me for various reasons, but that was just a nice, a nice consideration. So I end up finishing at like, yeah, seven, half seven, um, which is a good time. You know, it, it's, it's time for a, a, a pizza and a pint. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess, um, yes. What, how was the celebration? I mean, it must've been absolutely <laughs> fantastic. The, the team members, like you said, you had people pacing you. I think John Kelly was there and um, the, the, sorry, the original record holder. Oh, Mike Hartley. Again? Yeah. He had even turned up. He, Mike Hartley he was, was there. amazing. He turned up um, also on John's run. And then Sabrina Verge set uh, a women's FKT also this summer. And he turned up for her as well. I mean, I don't know exactly where he lives, but obviously yeah. you know, nearish the Pennines. I'm not totally sure, but he, he turns out for people, which is really, really great of him. Um, yeah. He was yeah. very charitable. Uh, really nice to see him really inspiring and there were several other sort of fell running legends like martin stone and mark hartel um 
who, who had turned out. And when I got to Edel, which is a, is a very small village, um, I was honestly, I don't. I like Edel. Oh, it's lovely, there, isn't yeah. it? It's lovely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking there'd be, you know, 10 people, including my crew, you know, um, uh, and there were, there were, in my head at least, there were kind of, you know, over 40 people. Um, and some, quite a few people I recognized, um, and, but a lot of people I didn't. And that was, yeah, really, really touching. Um, and yeah, luckily, yeah, good time, as I say, to finish. So my crew did get me two, two pizzas and, and, and a pint. Um, but yeah, halfway through that pint and halfway through that pizza, I wasn't much good to anyone. Um, so there were lots of people <laughs> hanging around socializing, all these kind of fell running glitterati and all these amazing ultra runners. And I, you know, yeah. I could have got so many great stories from people, but all I wanted to do really was, was sleep. Um, and and well done, man. Yeah. entertainingly yeah we, we went off to a hotel a bit later and um my friend i mean this is why a good crew is so important he knew he got the second pizza for basically when i wake up in the night so i'd work I, actually when we got to the the hotel i said to him oh we should all go and have a drink downstairs and he said yeah have your bath first and then i don't think you're going to be wanting to have a drink and he was totally right i, I mean i fell asleep in the bath which is which is quite dangerous um <laughs> uh and then but then I woke up, yeah, wide awake at four in the morning because your, your tummy is growling and empty and, and I had that second pizza at four in the morning. Um, but that must have been similar for you. What was your, what was your finish line um, experience like? Oh, it was brilliant. You, you, just, you just actually made the images come back. Um, my system, so my finish line consisted of my mother, you know, um, by herself with a cowbell, which I uh, won in um, Greece, a, a race called uh, the um, Mythical 100K. And uh, so she's there ringing this cowbell. Uh, my speech that I prepared uh, goes out the window because there's only my mum, <laughs> which was brilliant. Uh, my sister was with me. She had just done 40 miles. And um, no, but then we drove to a, uh, one of those, I don't know, a Premier Inn or something. We got McDonald's along the way. I went and sat down in the bed in the hotel room and I had my, I think it was a strawberry milkshake, an apple pie and a burger. And it, I was just in heaven, you know, that was my party. And it, it was sweet. It really was. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, well, success. You, success at, at its yeah, best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I think the, the kind of crowd thing is, is it was lovely touch, but it was in a way irrelevant. I mean, I remember when I finished the Southwest Coast Path like you, um, yeah, it was just my two crew members, but actually two, two other runners had turned up who, who had not met, but they were like friend of a friend of a friend who just had, had knew yeah. I was going to be there. So there were just, yeah, there were four people. Um, and I remember, well, I remember actually, yeah, going back to the hotel and then trying to go out to find something to eat at about 10 o'clock at night and, uh, or maybe not nine or 10. And that wasn't, that wasn't much fun because most things were shut and that, yeah. and you're absolutely growling, starving, hungry. What, you know, the last thing you want to do is be walking around town. Um, but we did, I think we yeah, did get yeah. some pizza in the end, but yeah, it's, it's a strange I mean, almost, and I've interviewed Nikki Spinks actually a few times about celebrating and she's talked about having half a beer in a shower and, and just collapsing and stuff. So it's, yeah, you're not always in a good state to actually celebrate as such, but that, that inner satisfaction obviously is, is, is huge, isn't it? Oh, it's, well, I did hear you say, um, it, I watched a little bit of that video that you've got, um, again, going back to your awesome website and, um, you know, you're saying this is one of the greatest days of my life, you know, what you'd achieved. And, and I think that record um john kelly his pedigree you know there's not many people who have finished the barclay marathons he's one of them uh, he goes and breaks a 30 year old record um you go and break john kelly's record it's also 
a dream of yours you know you've got experience out there so you know a massive well done really sounds like it was well thought out well executed um always um with a bit of luck as well you know everything you know you didn't trip over or you didn't break your arm or anything so everything went well uh yeah it's really nice to hear that story you know in person from you and and the listeners out there hearing it also well thank you thank um, you christian uh, but uh, you know i've had a mixed summer I, I got a new record and lost lost another record uh to this cheeky scamp uh down down on the southwest coast path um but you know i mean massive <laughs> congratulations to you as well i mean in a way they're they're different quite different records but in a way you know i mean yeah it's it really is tough i i don't i hope i hope the listeners realize what you've done because yeah it's it's you know it's pretty much 11 days or 10 and a half days of just constantly going um and that you kind of i mean it sounds like you've done really well at enjoying it as much as possible and that is key because otherwise you've got this this constant pressure haven't you of i mean it's all self-made pressure but this constant sort of got to keep moving got to keep moving got to keep moving how well am yeah. i doing how yeah. i don't know about you but i got i got obsessed with trying to get four miles an hour which like sounds so slow but down there it's not easy at all um that's fast that's that's moving some yeah that trip it really that is yeah. um and yeah. it get you know it can it, it gets to you after a while you know it, it's sometimes it was hard for me to enjoy at times but but it's it's really tough I, I, I did have the average yeah one of the um you know you've got your watch and you've got your data screens one of my uh things which i had was average miles per hour and I had to just take it off my data screen because <laughs> it was driving me yeah. nuts. Yeah, because you, I guess, I guess, it was often like three point eight, three point eight, three point nine. Um, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and then dwindling. I think one day it was down to three point one, and that's the day I turned it off. I was like, okay, it's not, not having this. Yeah. So it's incredibly tough what you've done. Um, it's going to be interesting. I keep hearing, actually, especially of a lot of uh, female attempts uh, coming up. I mean, there was one going at similar time to you actually mm. wasn't there but next year um i've heard of three or four i'm coaching two people actually who, who are going to try it um both women um and i don't know if this will bring more men to try it. i don't know but you know it's a stout record you've set there right you know me and you know how hard someone has to work for that so um it's going to be interesting and I, ho I hope it becomes you know almost i mean i have i have sort of called the Pennine way almost the appalachian trail of, of of england but yeah it's some debate whether it's the southwest coast path or the Pennine way um, obviously the Southwest coast paths a lot longer. Um, so they're both, yeah, they're both stout records now. So, um, yeah, exciting well, to see what happens. I, I think that that's a good, um, kind of, uh, lead into another question, I guess, you know, um, and I, myself, it's no, um, secret, you know, I do love, I think I'm probably obsessed with the AT, the Appalachian trail, as much as you were or are, uh, with the UTMB um however uh i think you would do uh pretty amazing at something you know you've already proved yourself on long distance trails uh you know the, the american trails are pretty cool as well do you ever see yourself getting out there and doing something like the pct or the at or any of those long I must trails in america i must admit yeah they they do sound they do sound exciting and and because my background is more as a trekker than than a runner really um yeah, I was aware of those trails and when I was a trekker and not a runner. And and they were almost they call mm. it the triple crown, don't they? I think those three. Um yeah, they so, so they, yeah. they are very exciting. Um but yeah, I've I've certainly I don't yeah, I, I if I'm totally honest and I've not said this publicly before, but yeah, I could could see myself trying the Apulation trail one day. I don't think I would in the next kind of two or three years. 
but I'm very, yeah, I'm incredibly excited to see, see how it goes for you because I was listening again, like Thanks. I say, on, on Talk Ultra and I could tell, I could hear A, the passion for it, but B, you know, how much knowledge you have and, and like, I don't know how aware people are. Like it's so much about kind of, obviously there's the mental side, but so much about logistics and, and having that right. And obviously it won't be right all the time, but, um, and it was interesting. Yeah. It sounded like you, you've really got that um, on point. Um, so, it, and, and obviously, yeah. And, and like a lot of people I've read, you know, I've seen Carl Meltzer's film. I've read Scott Jurek's book. Um, yeah. So it definitely yeah. excites me. I th- I'd say that's the big, the big one in the world, really, actually the number one FKT really. I mean, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm not. I, yeah, it wouldn't be something I do in the next few years and um, next two or three years. But but sometime maybe. But yeah, maybe one of the other two. Actually, that might be a bit a bit interesting. At the um, I'd, yeah yeah, it'd be pretty cool. But I've never really. Well, I tell you what. I tell you what. Let's do it like this, right? Okay, I'll go and set the FKT uh, twenty twenty one. Um, and then you can come along, <laughs> and you can break my FKT. And uh, anyway, start a podcast and bring me on and have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, or um, or I could yeah. While you're while you're over in America, I could I could nip along the Southwest Coast path. Um, <laughs> what you, you set an FKT over there? You come back for Southwest Coast path. I'll fly over the Atlantic, have a go at the uh, AT. <laughs> although I've you know I've not done the homework anywhere like you have, so I know you're in a good place for that one um you really know what you're doing um well, hey, hey wh- wh- whatever happens i think we should meet up and have a run or a beer or both yeah it's been, <laughs> it's, uh, i've had a wonderful time it's been yeah, o- overdue and it's been it's been odd actually because i i feel like we have done that before but, but we've never met in person um but um yeah no it's mm. been lovely to talk and and i'm really excited for you on the apelation trail um am i do i say it right apelation how do you say it it's not Appalachian. Um, it's um, there's two ways to say it. Um, if you're down south, you'll say Appalachian. Appalachian. So it's Latian, Appalachian. But if you're kind of, uh, I guess, kind of more north, it's Appalachian. Okay. So Appalachian or Appalachian. And tell me, are you uh, going? Are you going north? Yeah, totally going to head north. All my um, visualization has been finishing at Katahdin, which is the north um end of the trail uh so it would feel really strange to kind of start at the finish for me so that's just yeah it, it the, the the north end is the finish so it would I, I couldn't do it the other way around and why do most people go north is it is it to do the weather because it gets tougher in some of the northern sections right or am i yeah you're right uh yeah it i mean it's tough all the way along <laughs> uh you've got crazy elevation in georgia and uh, t- you know tennessee and so on early on but uh, yeah, it does get tougher, but as you know yourself, the the tougher the terrain, the more engaging. So it kind of depends how you think about it. Um, and yeah, I'd say it's the, the the you're above tree line quite a lot. Um, it's quite open. You're on what these things are called balds, and a bald is a mountain with no trees, and you can look down and and uh, the presidentials, you know. Um, the white mountains so yeah i i kind of want to head in the direction of that kind of that's the magnet that's drawing okay. me um rather than kind of start with all that amazing beauty and then head south where it's equally beautiful but beautiful in a different way okay okay but the weather yeah. the weather is getting gradually how does the weather sort of change as you go north like um it's warming up as you go sort of thing I, 
I think it depends what time of year you start. Um, that's one kind of uh, thing I can't get my head around. You know, how does it work? I guess you're starting off in spring. Oh, no, sorry, you've got spring and summer, and then it goes to winter. So yeah, the more time passes, so through hikers will start in spring or late winter, um, and they'll continue and often go through summer and then finish uh, late in the season. Uh, when Katahdin is kind of closing up for winter. So yeah, the, the, as you go, depending on when you start, I mean, if you start 20 days before the heat of summer and, and finish 20 days after the heat of summer, I guess you've had even temperature. Okay. It's a, it's a time yeah. to get my head around. <laughs> Still don't know. <laughs> well, I'm excited, excited to track you. Um, I'm excited to track you there. And congratulations again on your, um, yeah, Southwest Coast Path record. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Damien, um, I've taken up loads of your time. And uh, before we end the podcast, would you like to uh, maybe uh, give a plug for anything like your coaching, your sponsors or oh, anything? Uh, that's yeah. very kind. Uh, I suppose I could uh, clunkily mention my key sponsors, which are Innovate, which uh, also sponsor you, who make fantastic trail running, trail running shoes and, and kit. Um, and my other main sponsor is a slightly left field one, Tomax Technology, which probably won't appeal to most of your yeah, runners. Oh, it's a long story, but, but, but um, they want to get their, well, it's quite a nice story. They want to get their workforce healthier and fitter. Um, and it just so happens my, my brother-in-law works there. So, so somehow along yeah. with that connection, I, I go in there and I give, well, it's before the virus anyway, um, I give them talks and we go for a run and I give them training plans. So it is quite a two-way, it's quite a nice relationship, actually. It's not something I'd thought about doing, but um, it's, that works quite nicely. Um, uh, and I, if I could mention, yeah, my good friends Summit Fever Media uh, are making a film about my and John Kelly's runs. They, they recently, they were here yesterday, actually, interviewing me again. And the day before, they were interviewing John Kelly um, about both our runs this summer on the, on the Pennine Way. It's going to be called Totally FKT'd um and um yeah. yeah that's out i think in early november or, or pretty soon um so if, if i'm allowed to mention that for them and i suppose one more final thing before you cut me off is i'm actually writing yeah <laughs> writing my own book about my fkt experiences which will probably have an equally kind of suggestive title um which i think would be out early next year uh so yeah that's probably more than an more than I should have plugged, but thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. No, you didn't mention your coaching yet. You got to mention <laughs> your coaching. Um, yeah, I, I do coach people as well, as, do, as does Christian. I didn't, well, I didn't want to, it didn't seem fair to come on your podcast. And, but, um, but anyway, people will want to go to you now because you're, you're the record holder. I, I used to get people coming to me if they were going to run the Southwest Coast Path, but they should go to Christian now because he's, he's the better man. He, know, he knows more than me. So yeah, go to Christian. Right, you heard it from Damien's own mouth. So guys, <laughs> anyone thinking of uh, going out for the Southwest Coast Path? Now, Damien, it's been, it's been just like catching up with a mate, really. It's been really fun. Um, let's stay in touch. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for listening to uh, the Christian Ultra Podcast again um, for another week uh, with another guest. Uh, yeah, I genuinely meant that uh, when I said it was like chatting to an old friend um, with Damien. And um, he's very easy to get along with and you can see why, you know, he does so well in what he sets out to do and, and people around him and, uh, you know, um, help him out because he's such a great guy, you know, with like pacing and stuff like that on his epic Pennine Way um, 
extravaganza is probably a good one the fkt extravaganza so well uh yeah i always like to mention about um, my online run coaching because that's how i kind of i guess pay the bills and it's nice to um have people uh, come and work with me and what i'm passionate about and um, what what really makes me enthusiastic and super excited to wake up in the mornings so yeah go and check out my coaching page or my coaching site on um, www.christianultra.com that's christian without the ch not spelt um, the religious way but spelt the scandinavian way with a k um, on there you can find my fundraiser um, and uh, for the Appalachian Trail 2021 um, I'd love to get out there so I'm trying to get some funding uh, to get myself and a crew out there for next year summer so go and check out that page and um, go ahead and um, uh, you know uh, send something over okay and in the meantime have a great week um, and I'll be back next week with another interesting guest